welcome to Fighting Over the VCR. My name is Matthew. My name is Nancy. And thank you again for listening. And this week we're going to be talking about a movie that is very dear to our hearts. And uh, we're going to do another joint podcast where we talk about the same movie. Now, this movie is not as popular as Willy Wonka episode, where we dedicated an entire episode to Willy Wonka, a much-beloved and very popular movie. This movie is one that we finally get to see what happened to Lloyd Dobler and Diane Court. Wrong. That's not what this movie's about? No. This, in fact, this movie takes place in 19... Filmed in 1985, <sighs> years before Lloyd Dobler and Diane Court even existed. <sighs> It's, just, set in, it's set in Northern you, California in a town on the way to the ski resorts. You're, you're just so full of details. Yeah, details. They're important. Details. Okay. Anyway. So I want to start off with a very large thesis about this movie. Okay. Better Off Dead is a movie that has everything. It does have everything. It is a comedy in yes. various formats. The Check. silly, the dark, the ridiculous... It's a sports movie, which includes the required sports montage. It's got very dark drama. It's a coming-of-age story. Um, It's got all the cheesy 80s vibes you're looking for, including Curtis Armstrong, who played Booger in Revenge of the Nerds. It's got horror movie elements in the form of a newspaper boy. It's got excellent 80s music, including some Van Halen. It has animation in both stop motion and cartoon formats and it makes you feel like lane meyer can do anything he puts his stubborn reluctant mind to do i agree i also say it's um it's a romance there's some there's some romantic elements in in this movie Mm -hmm. there's suspense Mm -hmm. you know there's definitely some suspense elements in this movie i think that this is all around the quintessential movie to have your highs and your lows. Now, granted, the horror movie elements to this are done with comedic and, you know, kind of a comedic undertone. Absolutely, but the but the terror in which Lane Meyer is feeling throughout this, these encounters he has with uh, the newspaper boy are, are really intense. Yes, they are. We used to watch this movie... A lot. We've quoted this movie a lot. Probably, let's just start from where where probably our listeners probably know this movie the most is the I want my $2 line. Yeah. That is where the paperboy kind of comes in, where when we're first introduced to, uh, I believe his name is Johnny. Mm Mm-hmm. Johnny the paperboy, who, you know, comes to the door with this real gravelly kind of voice and, uh, you know, as he's asking for his two dollars, takes his, you know, uh, switchblade comb and slicks back his hair. <laughs> yeah, he's a very menacing figure. But and um, he stalks Lloyd until the very last frame of the movie. The last frame is of him on his bicycle trying to get his two dollars. Well, and, and I think that's where the utter humor of this whole and the nonsensical aspects of this movie that really kind of sum up this movie come in where it's like. It's two dollars, <laughs> yeah. and um, but that's probably I'd say you know if anyone was going to recognize this movie, that it's that 
scene, that whole aspect of this movie is the the paper boy wanting his two dollars. Yep. And I'm gonna I'm gonna push back a little bit on something you said earlier about how this film isn't as beloved as Willy Wonka. I think Willy Wonka is known much to a much larger audience. Oh but yeah. But I think anyone you talk to who's seen Better Off Dead, especially in our generation, loves this movie. Yes, I, 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 it has a cult status. Yeah. Now, this is the first movie made by Savage Steve Holland, who only went on to make three feature films and then started doing television work on, like, Nickelodeon. Mm. Like, he did, he's famous for doing, I guess, uh, Eek the Cat, which um, we were too old to watch, mm. but um, was, very, was popular. He has done a lot of, like, um, youth, like, young adult, like, teen television. His three feature films are... Better Off Dead, One Crazy Summer, and How I Got Into College. All have the like a very similar kind of tone and a similar style mm-hmm. that I think is all Savage Steve Holland. He you know has anime he likes to do stuff with animation he likes to have dark humor that kind of suspense and horror that we're talking about and just wackiness mm-hmm. that just is creative and kind of childish but you know extremely fun and i think that that really kind of shaped my humor you know mm-hmm. i love the absurd oh yeah you know in in a sense and it's just a lot of fun kind of watching these movies in a sense that you do not take any of it seriously <laughs> well no i mean the movie opens and you know lane is rushing off to go compete in a ski contest and he loses, sort of. I mean, I think the the results well, he's, are he's, fudged a little he's bit. He's trying out for the high school ski team. Yeah, that that Roy Stalin is the leader of, and his girlfriend Beth breaks up with him, and she gives a long list of reasons why she wants to break up with him. How. You know, they're, I think they were seniors, and she wants to expand her horizons, and she doesn't want to be held back well, by such a goofball. Let, let's, let's talk about the relationship between Beth and Lane. Okay. Lane was very much obsessed with Beth, to the point where his entire room was covered <laughs> with pictures of Beth. He slept with a picture of her in his room. He took a picture of her into the bathroom when he was taking a shower, yeah. and then when he would go into his walk-in closet, mm-hmm. every hanger had a picture of her head yeah. on like the top of it to make it look like she was wearing his clothes. Yeah, I mean, hence, you get a, son- a sense of the absurdity and mm-hmm. the hilarity of this movie. He was very much obsessed and then we, you know, it kind of kind of sets it up like, man, they must have been together like all of high school or something like that. Well, she decides to break up with him because not only is he not captain of the ski team, but he cannot ski the K-12. Yeah. The, the, the mountain that has killed people, <laughs> <laughs> apparently. You know, he doesn't make the ski team. He's all depressed. And then Beth breaks up with him. After what we are then find out was a lengthy, long high school relationship of six months. Yeah, six months exactly. <laughs> I mean, the the so again, just all when rewatching this as as old as I am now. Like when I was at first watching this movie, when I was like seven or eight, I was like, 
you know, none of that made any sense to yeah. me. But now watching it, I'm just like, this is hilarious. Well, I mean, seeing how upset he was, I mean, you know, as a kid, watching someone be just totally gutted over something, it, it makes a really strong impression on you. I mean, one of the ways that this obsession and devastation hurt him was, you know, he's he's very much living in his head throughout a lot of this movie. There's several scenes where he imagines absolutely any person coming up to him and asking them, hey, I heard you and Beth broke up. Do you mind if I ask her out? From just random kids at school. He doesn't to, imagine that, though. A couple of times it acts. I don't think the it really. Teacher, I, the teacher actually asked him. So there's a scene where. Uh, do you think so? Yes, absolutely. Where, where Vincent Schiavelli <laughs> asked her out. Oh, great actor. He's been in so many obscure movies. He's in fact, he plays the the um, biology teacher, the anatomy teacher in uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Wonderful role. Mm-hmm. He's And the fact that they got him in this movie is amazing. He asks Lane, hey, um, you know, I heard you weren't going out with Beth anymore, and I was wondering, you know, would it be okay if I asked her out? I'm like, dude, you're a teacher, but... I believe that actually happened. I don't believe it happened. I don't what about be- the mailman? I don't think that happened either. Uh, I don't think Barney Rubble happened either. I Barney think, Rubble definitely did not I, happen, I think, but that was that was so funny but how I they think, did that. I think <laughs> actually no one was coming up to him and asking him, hey, can I take Beth out? I think he was just so fully immersed in this obsession with her and just so completely broken up over her leaving him that every conversation in his mind became about Beth. Like if he's that obsessed with her, obviously everybody else is because she was dating Roy Stalin. So why would she go out with anyone else? Yeah. But I think that, I think that that's where kind of like you have to kind of draw that line between the absurd aspect of this movie and how much of it is an actual like psychosis that he has. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I believe that the those people, with the exception of Barney Rubble, there's a scene where he <laughs> walks in and Flintstones is on, and all of a sudden he looks at the TV, and then Barney Rubble is asking him if he, it's okay if he asks out Beth. <laughs> he throws the ski goggles at the TV. Yeah, I mean that's an interesting point, though. I I always thought of it as like that was actually happening, with the exception of the Barney Rubble point. But I never thought of it as like it was his like it was like his brain was like making these things up. I'll tell you, I only thought of it this most recent time watching it. It never occurred to me that maybe all of these people, obviously, except Barney Rubble, really were asking him out. But the more I thought about it upon this rewatch, I'm like, nope, he's imagining all of this. Because so much of what happens in this movie is in his imagination. Like, all the stop animation that happens, all the cartoons that he's drawing and how they're coming to life and speaking to him, this is all just in his head. I think that's another reason why I really connected to this movie Mm -hmm. was because just the daydream kind of aspect of it and like the whole playing out the scenario in your head kind of thing. I mean, especially when I was younger. I mean, I've lived too much life now to like (laughs) be able to dream that big. But um, in a sense that uh, my imagination just isn't as what it was when I was 10 or 16. I I think that... uh, I think you bring up a really good point just because I never thought that uh, I always kind of felt like that was more real than it was. What do you think, Mulder? I don't know who he's siding with. I think he's siding with his stomach. (laughs) One other thing that gets seems like an exaggeration, but truly you've got to take it seriously. 
are the f- different ways that he considers killing himself in this movie because he's so broken up. Go for it. Tell he, me. The first time he wants to kill himself, you see him wrapping a cord around his neck in the garage. And even with the cord on his neck and he's standing on like a step, he's like, what am I doing? This is stupid. This is death. And what happens? His mom is vacuuming and bursts through the door and knocks him off the step. So then he's got to kind of hold the cord so he doesn't actually snap his neck. So that's the first of four moments where he's considering this. He's like in the moment of, you know, like maybe being one step away from actually going through with it reconsidering and then something is intervening that almost pushes him to committing the act. That scene is incredibly funny. Um, There's something verily not funny about that scene. Um, So a lot of this movie is actually autobiographical of Savage Steve Holland. And apparently that actually happened to him. Not exactly the same way, but in my research before, uh, while I was preparing for the podcast, he, uh, I don't know if it, I can't remember the circumstances, but he did try and hang himself. Oh my God. And he tied like an electrical cord or something to a pipe in his garage. And he kind of slipped and no, he was on like a bucket that couldn't hold his weight and the bucket kind of collapsed. So he, then started hanging himself and then the pipe that he had tied it to was a water pipe and it broke and then water got everywhere Mm. and that is what kind of stopped it scary that is scary so um these are all like a lot of things i'm sure the, the the final three that you're about to mention are all like really serious things that people actually could probably do to kill themselves so just warning out there, like we're we're not trying to take this in a light kind of kind of way. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's not the fact. And I think that, that there was a lot of controversy with this movie when it came out because of the kind of the what we're talking about yeah. is this idea of like, oh, I'm going to kill myself because someone broke up with me shouldn't really be taken too seriously. Yeah. Well, the other the other three events are um you know he's been humiliated in school again Mm -hmm. and he's standing on an overpass about to jump onto incoming traffic and you know he's not really serious about it but charles damar played by curtis armstrong shows up on his bike hey little buddy what's going on and they're talking about it and then lane changes his mind but charles damar pats him on the back And what does that do? It causes him to lose his balance, and he falls into a garbage truck that happens to be driving right underneath that catches him. (laughs) And what do the tree tree trimmer guys say? Damn. People throwing away a perfectly good white boy like that. Yeah, very inappropriate. (laughs) Very inappropriate. And, yeah. And and the, the actor who gives that line... That was from 21 Jump Street. He's the boss in 21 Jump Street and then later Mr. X on the X-Files. That's right. That's right. Um, There's a lot of, like, actors who have um, parts in this movie where um, where you've probably seen them later. Like, his dad, it took me the longest time to figure out where his dad was from, but his dad was on MASH, the mm. television show. Mm. His dad, um, we'll talk about his dad in a little bit because... 
there's some great stuff with his dad in this movie. Yeah. Uh, Lloyd's third attempt at suicide is after, you know, Beth has snubbed him again. He tries to die um, with carbon monoxide poisoning, you know, sitting in the car with this tiny little bear that he bought for Beth, which no, is overshadowed. No, no, that's you're wrong. No, what I'm saying. No, that's not how that's not how he got the bear. That's not what the bear is. Mm. The bear is, you know, he goes, hey, Beth, did you get he calls her on the phone on Christmas. Why? I don't know. Hey, did you get the present I got? Oh, yeah. Oh, and Roy sent you a present. And he's like, great. Let me open it. And it's this tiny little box. And Beth goes, yeah, he says he got you a teddy bear bigger than you. And it's a tiny little box. And Roy is trying to tell him, like, you're a tiny little person. Are you serious? That, yeah. Okay. You, I thought you never that, caught on to I that? I thought that was a bear that Lloyd was, that Lloyd Lane was going to give to Beth. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay. No, it's, it's Roy. Roy, Roy sent him, sent him what that. A dick. He is, he is such a dick. A dick. This is, I mean, he's not a good person. He is such a bad guy. Oh, my God. He's awful. <laughs> I mean, he calls him, you know, his name is Lane Meyer, and he calls him Oscar, like Oscar mm-hmm. Meyer. And, and is he your main wiener man? Wiener man. He's just terrible. So anyways, well, Lane is, um, has this tiny little bear with him in the car. You know, he's got the garage door shut and. Somehow he gets the car into gear and bursts. He passes out. He passes out, gets the car into gear, and it bursts through the garage door with brand new windows that they got because the paper boy has been breaking all the windows. Yeah. Yeah. Once again, we'll... We'll We'll talk more about the dad and the paper boy later. But then the final attempt, um, he sees an article about a guy who uh, lit himself on fire. And he decides um, on the night of hosting um, the neighbors from across the street with their French foreign exchange student for dinner, he's going to go ahead and try lighting himself on fire. And um, he gets some lighter fluid from the garage. He puts like a weird blanket on and a tie over his hair. And he brings the lighter fluid at the dinner table with him and is taking a napkin and kind of dabbing it on him. And then the neighbor mom, um, Ricky's mom, decides to start drinking it, thinking it's moonshine, and she lights a cigarette and blows her face up. Yeah. And, but that is his last attempt. After that experience, we don't, he doesn't try to kill himself anymore. The, 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 the thing he actually sees is the famous image of, I believe it's a monk who sets himself on fire in protest. Mm. It's also the cover of the Rage Against the Machines first album. Oh, wow. And um, it's it's a really famous image. He sees that and decides to, that has a complete opposite effect of its intention, but (laughs) he uses, that's the inspiration that he uses. It's pretty bad. Yeah. Oh, it was a good summary. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's, so, I mean, those elements, like watching him kind of go through this for at least the first half of the movie, if not a little longer, it's kind of like always in the background, like, okay, what's going to happen next? How is he going to try and kill himself next? Um, and then when he finally makes a new friend in the form of uh, Monique, the French foreign exchange student, it seems like he turns a corner. Yeah. And uh, Monique, who the entire movie has been pretending to not know English, we later find out does know English. She knows more than Mrs. Smith's international language of love. Um, She actually knows English, has been understanding what everyone has been saying the entire time, and then she decides to help kind of 
pull Lane out of the gutter and yeah. bring him back to a point where he can uh, succeed in the many challenges. Now, um, let's talk about some of these challenges that he faces. Because, you know, besides being um, one of the best skiers in their small little town, he has a lot of kind of, and not I guess they're enemies. I mean, he's got the paper boy mm-hmm. who um, is obsessed with getting his two dollars. Two dollars that I mean, and that's just going to keep growing. Mm-hmm. You know, the more papers that he gives. I mean, come <laughs> on, God, pay the two dollars, man. Um, there's also the um, the Asian race team mm-hmm. who constantly challenges Lane to races, uh, street races. Um, now, Lane, throughout a majority of the movie, has been driving a wood-paneled station wagon <laughs> that... Uh, it has it, something that hangs on the bottom. Is it the, it, the, the... the muffler is hanging from the bottom, <laughs> constantly dragging. You hear this kind of tinking of metal every time he drives anywhere. And when you first meet him at the um at a red light with the with the Asian race car drivers, they've got they kind of put their leather gloves on like they're about to race and it's the driver and the passenger, his buddy, who in the movie has only learned how to speak English by watching Howard Cosell mm-hmm. on Wide World of Sports. <laughs> so he, they make, they find someone that that can they they dub over the you know Howard Cosell voice when he <laughs> speaks, and um, he's got a <laughs> he's got like a speaker system on the top of their car so mm-hmm. he can do the commentary of the race as they're as racing. They're racing. But Lane, then it cuts over to Lane, who then puts on his ski goggles instead of, like, racing, racing goggles. goggles. And instead of putting on leather gloves, puts on rubber uh, dishwashing gloves with the fingers cut off. <laughs> and um, he doesn't win. No, he's always, like, his he car is either accident. in reverse or he hits the car in front of him or he, all these all these. He runs into a puddle full of ducks. Yeah, lots of challenges when he's racing the guys. Yeah, and then, um, you know, he's d- totally been distracted by Beth, so he's not a great student. He's given up his saxophone. He doesn't, you know, he's just got life. His He just is not a happy person. He's giving up all these kinds of things. And Roy Stalin, obviously, is a huge point of source of conflict for him absolutely um even the guy who owns the burger joint that he runs that's a bit of conflict for him well i was just about to get to that he the other the other challenge he faces is his dad you know his dad is constantly on him about getting over beth getting the the car that he um he helped him buy out of the out of, off his front lawn. He uh, because he Beth thought it, it was, was tasty. tasty. Yeah, his yeah. tasty car. Yeah, um, his dad loaned him two hundred dollars to buy the tasty car. That it ends up being a Camaro, which ends up sweet be, car. It's a badass car. Then he also wants him to get a job, <laughs> where he sets him up with this job at um what is it called the Pig Burger. Something like it's that. It's called Pig Burger. And it's a burger joint, kind of, you know, like a chubby burger or a really greasy, slimy, like, In-N-Out burger, I guess. And um, it just so happens that the guy who owns Pig Burger is also the um, guy he keeps on getting in accidents with, and he's trying to race the, uh, the, 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 the street racers. 
his uh his job has a very significant um representation there's something that happens at his job that is very significant to me personally his first day on the job he has to come in early and make patties that are in the shape of a pig so he's got to form these hamburger patties into this mold Mm -hmm. and then put them onto a tray so they can get grilled throughout the day and the slogan of the burger joint is everybody wants some (laughs) and it's got this poster of like this behind the shot behind shot of like this woman wearing only an apron, you know, where it says everybody wants some above her. Mm-hmm. And um, he just has kind of staring at that. And like he starts going into his dream kind of state as he's doing this monotonous work of making this burger. Almost like, like a mad scientist. Yeah. So then cues in the music of Van Halen doing everybody wants some mm-hmm. off of women and children first. And this was probably my first real introduction to Van Halen. Mm -hmm. I'll always remember, like, when I hear this song, this scene in the movie, and it just makes me light up in, like, the (laughs) greatest way. So it cues to him, you know, being having, like, this dreamlike state. Kind of laughing maniacally, too. And it turns into, like, a a Frankenstein's monster kind of thing where he forms this, this... this burger puts it on a tray like kind of the tray goes up into the ceiling it's a stormy night lightning hits it and it turns (laughs) it alive and then it then as nancy pointed out earlier this stop motion kind of scene of a burger dancing playing a guitar that looks like eddie van halen's (laughs) guitar (laughs) eventually you know the boss walks in ends the whole dream and then he gets fired and it's 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 terrible for Lane, but this was I'm I'm pinpointing this other than maybe seeing like seeing jump on MTV mm-hmm. was a big deal. But I'm put I'm putting, you know, the pin in my in my life story as this being the point in which Van Halen like really took off for me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm 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 putting it in there Go ahead. right now. I agree. I'm, I'm putting the pin in. <laughs> Got it. Well, and Van Halen popped up for you and me personally a few times after that, you know, through school and whatnot. I mean, our high school was on a street called Panama, and I don't know, most days turning onto Panama, we would get the Van Halen song in our Uh, heads. My wife and I walked from, like, entered our reception at our wedding to Panama. Exactly. I mean, come on. Yeah. There was some significance there. You know, and the Hot for Teacher song has always been funny for us. Hoffer teaser and Panama. Everybody wants some. Mm. Ain't talking about love. I mean, Classics. I could go. I could go on. Classics. But you notice like, all of those are not Sammy Hagar songs. Sorry to to people who love Sammy Hagar. No offense. He's 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 a he's a talented musician. But I like David Lee Roth, yeah. Van Halen. David Lee Roth was great. His ex- so Lane's experience working at this restaurant caused a lot of problems. You know, after his little burger Frankenstein event, the boss, who's just this really gross jerk, you know, he's real slimy. He's always got like a big cigar. Like he just is 
you don't want to mess with this guy. He literally throws Lane on his ass in the middle of the restaurant. And of course, who's at the booth sitting right where Lane looks up, where Lane's got this weird pig hat on. It's kind of crooked and sliding off his face. It's Beth and Roy, where Roy, you know, makes these gross, annoying, squealing noises at him. He's just taunting him again and again. And, you know, it's no wonder Lane feels like this miserable outcast loser because he's just reminded all over the place that he's just not doing anything right. And he's struggling a lot. But, you know, his his friendship with Monique just really sets him on the right course. I mean, he's able to help her feel safe even around Ricky and his crazy mom. Um, they go, they first really interact um, after the weird dinner where Ricky's mom blows her face up at the New Year's dance. That was before. That was before the explosion. Yeah, it was. It goes New Year's dance, then explosion. Okay. Well, I'm being technical. It doesn't really matter. It's okay. Once Monique reveals that she does speak English and they're able to talk and they're able to kind of bond over just how weird Ricky's been with her and just how she feels basically like a sex object. Like that was the only reason they brought her over. He always puts his testicles on her. Testicles? Oh, you mean tentacles. Yes, like tentacles. An op- like an octopus. Yes, tentacles. NT, big difference. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, Lane... I mean, because really, Lane is a nice guy. Lane, Lane is a nice guy. You know, unfortunately, his his efforts and affections were just misdirected and just not being appreciated by Beth. Because in one point when um, he reveals to Monique that he's got this Camaro hidden under, you know, a tarp on the garage, he wakes up the next day and sees her crawled under the Camaro working on it. She, you know, found a manual and just like, I'm going to try and fix this. And he's like, what are you doing? I don't know how to do any of this. And she's like, sure you do. You know, she really pushes him and helps him have some confidence to try stuff. And, um, they get the car fixed and then he gets to win in a race against the, uh, Asian street drivers, which was amazing. He, um, makes her a very nice dinner, you know, the TV dinners that he got for Christmas. And yeah, let's let, let's let's talk about his mom real quick. OK. OK. So obviously the quirkiness of this movie would not really work if it weren't for the quirkiness of a lot of the characters. Yeah. Everyone's I mean, weird. Everyone's kind of got their quirks. And his mom loves cooking and not just cooking, but experimenting with cooking so there's a few scenes where she has talked about the experiments. Like, for example, she gets Woman's Home Journal and notices that a couple of the pages got stuck together. So she just uses that as a way to launch a new recipe, stuff like that. Well, based on the fact that they really don't like her cooking because it is so bizarre. Uh, for Christmas, she gives him a bunch of frozen TV dinners. <laughs> Which, this one has the brownie in it. You like the brownie. <laughs> <laughs> and, 
Yeah. I mean, she a lot. She of the means food, well. A lot of She's the food great. she makes She's turns like a really weird green. Like she boils bacon. She makes a weird dessert that resembles like the slime from the Nickelodeon show that it we has, used to watch. It has raisins in it. You like raisins. You like raisins. Yeah. It's very. She's. And then it she, crawls off the plate onto the floor. Yeah. It's you know it's it's very bizarre. So yeah. So he so Lane treats. He has the keys still to. Uh, pig burger and he goes in and treats Monique to a nice dinner and then um, at the um, recommendation of his buddy Charles DeMar he he picks up the sax again and, and gets out his saxophone and plays her a little song to yeah, kind he, of thing. He really okay, romances he her. That's where the, that's where the romance in this movie really kind of pops off and, uh, and a lot of the 80s good 80s songs are when they're together Let's segue into montages. There's a couple montages in this. Um, now, now I'm gonna kind of I'm gonna go I'm gonna I'm gonna go two for on this. So there's montages, and the montages in this movie and a majority of '80s movies. There's probably one in Karate Kid and all these movies. Rocky. Rocky. Every Rocky. Um, really, kind of um, is where the. Uh, Influence of the South Park song, you know, going to need a montage um, kind of came from, which is really prevalent in the South Park episode, which is directly influenced by this movie called Kickin' Aspen, where there is skiing <laughs> and there's even uh, a jerky kind of bully kind of guy that keeps calling who's picking on Stan, the South Park character Stan, who who is Stan Marsh. And he keeps on calling like Stan Darsh. Yeah. You know, so just this movie. Ha- I mean, this movie has a lot more influence than I guess I was giving it credit for. Well, the reason they have a sports montage in this movie is because uh, Lane and Roy decide to go ahead and have a have a face off. Yeah. You know, they have, you know, and it's one of those funniest things. They're like, oh, yeah, we're going to do it at new high noon on Sunday. No one needs to know. And literally like. Three seconds later, the it's entire town knows. It's announced <laughs> over the high school PA system. Um, you know, Monique has been helping him with the car, and then he realizes which has a montage. There's a montage of them make, fixing the car. Yep, there is um, with the Howard Jones song in the background it was excellent. And um, he realizes once they get it fixed, oh my god, oh my god, this I have to f- face Stalin tomorrow. tomorrow. <laughs> and she's like, well, we'll beat him. So they get up to the slopes really early the next day, and yet another montage happens where the two of them are practicing skiing. And So let's, let's, let's talk about uh, the K-12. <laughs> so the K-12 is this very dangerous ski slope that Roy, you know, has conquered and is you know, the, the nemesis of, of Lane. And every time he tries to ski it, he falls, he can just never make it. And there's this huge steep kind of part at the very beginning. And, uh, about uh, kind of early, kind of maybe midway through the movie, he's up there going to, going to try it out. Cause he thinks like, maybe if I ski this, I can get Beth back. And that's, that's all Charles DeMar idea like man if you ski the k-12 she'll take you back any woman in this town will have you if you can ski the k-12 yeah and it's up there where we have probably one of my favorite curtis armstrong scenes on anything he's ever done where um he is on the mountain 
it's Christmas Eve, and he is snorting the snow <laughs> like it's cocaine. And he's like, wait a minute. Do you realize what this mountain is? This is pure snow. It's everywhere. Do you realize what the street value of this mountain is? Yeah, he's obsessed with drugs in this whole movie. He yeah. snorts everything, and including just, Jello. Yeah, it's it's pretty bad. And then he has probably one of my favorite lines. You know, he he has two lines that really stick out to me. Early on in the movie, he's in school, and he you know he he's trying to help Lane. You know, he feels bad for his friend, and he says to me, "You know, Lane, I've been going to this high school." For seven and a half years I'm no dummy And uh, that is I just <laughs> I, I would, I'll use that line till I die I'm no dummy And then um, but up on the mountain on You know he's, he's like come on Charles What should I do and he goes alright this is what you do Go that way Really fast If something gets in your way Turn I mean brilliant right That's yeah. like the most brilliant kind of kind of advice you could actually give someone hey go that way in a race i mean all things <laughs> go that way really fast and if something gets in your way turn i just ironically monique gives lane the exact same advice later on yeah but then she then she's like it's it's no sweat and then she does it she skis the k-12 and then he's like well if you can do it and then he falls down the hill and he slides forever <laughs> he just keeps sliding it's so good <laughs> Oh, but, <laughs> but right before um, right before the race comes, you know, he and Monique are about to make out and it's like, oh, OK, yeah, they're falling for each other. It's a done deal. And but they're interrupted by Charles DeMar and his giant top hat. And Charles DeMar, as he comes and interrupts them, slides over the ski and breaks his ski, breaks his ski. So, you know, Lane does make it up to the top of the mountain just in the nick of time to start the race and on one ski on one ski. So everybody at the bottom of the hill is, you know, watching in anticipation and Charles DeMar is narrating the race. He's like, he's on one ski, (laughs) but luckily um, they're doing this race. And then all, Oh, what's motivating, what's motivating Lane in this race? Well, besides trying to win the race, is the paper boy. Yes, the paper boy has now affixed skis to his bike. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, he, and he is now following both of them on on a ski bike, yeah. which is not motorized or at all. Yeah. It is just sliding anywhere. It, it's absurd. It's so, amazing. So, <laughs> so the terror, again, of this paper boy coming to get him is um, motivating Lane to make it down the hill safe uh, as fast as possible because he doesn't want to pay up these $2. We've, we've mentioned Charles Damar. Um, which is the only really way I think you can say his name, Charles Demar, because mm-hmm. you can't just call him Charles. No, he's Charles Demar. But yeah, Curtis Armstrong plays him. I think this is the role, like him playing Booger in the Revenge of the Nerds movies is great, but it's it mean it's not my kind of humor. Like I'm not into dick and fart jokes as much. Yeah. But um. Well, this movie. This but that movie, that movie is like where his popularity probably lies. But I think he, I, I like his character more in this. Mm-hmm. And then you know. For those of you who love 80s television, he was then on Moonlighting. Mm-hmm. But He's a fixture in 80s pop culture. Yeah. and But I will probably, I'll, I'll, I'll always remember him as, as Charles DeMar. Mm-hmm. I like him in, in this movie. I think another thing that makes this movie so important is that it really is the first time that you get to see John Cusack in this likable endearing kind of everyday leading man role 
which eventually, you know, he sets him up to be so perfect for say anything. You know, I mean, you get to see him as this kind of goofball high school guy, but you really, really root for him. You know, he was in another movie that same year. It came out actually before Better Off Dead called The Sure Thing. And that was also another kind of coming of age rom-com um, kind of road trip movie where he's um, promised this hot blonde in the form of Nicolette Sheridan if he can get to L.A. during his uh, college spring break. And um, he's road tripping with Daphne Zuniga. And, um, you know, Anthony Edwards is also in this movie. You know, it's it's another fun movie, very different tone than Better Off Dead, but it's, you know, another kind of romantic leading man movie for John Cusack. But I think the more cult status movie truly is Better Off Dead. Absolutely. Sure thing. That's a, pre- that's a pretty that's good movie. That's a great movie. I that's like a that movie, movie a lot, too. Um, you know, he did that. And, and One Crazy Summer, the movie that he did after this with Savage Steve Holland, has a, a similar tone. Mm-hmm. Um, it's I, weirder, though. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, we could talk about that in a second. The uh, I just had a couple more things that I just wanted to mention about some of the um, characters in this movie. Um, let's talk about Monique for just really, uh, really briefly. Um, she's not the actress whose name I can't even remember right now. I'm terrible. Um, but uh, she's not that well known. But she did uh, the the most probably the ne- probably the most popular movie besides this that I know of that she was in. She actually um, had a small part in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Oh, um, when they go back in time. And bring princesses back with them. They are, <laughs> she is one of the princesses. But one of the, the motivating factors for Monique to come to the United States is because she wants to go to Dodger Stadium. <laughs> okay, whatever. Which doesn't make sense to me because this movie is supposed to be in Northern California. And it was clearly filmed like all the street scenes are all filmed in Los Angeles and all the ski scenes were filmed in Utah. So I'm, I just don't get the whole why the Dodgers are even in this, but well, I, whatever it's Hollywood. I get it. It's not like it's that long of a drive to get from Northern California into LA, no, especially in his Camaro. No, but you shouldn't be a Dodger fan. Well, it's, well come on. That's what I'm getting at. Whatever. That's my own personal she, thing. She was French. She you know, had her, she was influenced by you know. no one's perfect whatever <laughs> it's okay it led to a really romantic like final scene of them sitting on her on the camaro making out at home plate with him holding a saxophone and then the paper boy driving riding his bike through the baseball field to get his two dollars stupid dodger stadium um and then really briefly um People might be like, if you go and pick up this movie and you decide, hey, you know, I got to check this movie out again. That's been a while. Uh, Beth was also in another 80s movie years before this came out called Nightmare on Elm Street. You've probably heard of it. if Tina. you. And she played Tina. Tina, the first victim in that movie. Excellent. In the original. So and, good. Um, it's a great scene. She comes back later when, in one of the nightmares that, that uh, um, Nancy has. And it's so, I mean. Yeah, it's really good. We're gonna, I, I've, uh, Nancy and I have discussed, we, that movie will be on an episode oh, yeah. later. That's we'll, gonna, we'll do, that, we'll do a horror movie episode uh, at some point. And yeah. that we'll definitely discuss Nightmare But uh, yeah, Beth is Tina. So, you know, maybe, you know, maybe she got what she deserved in that movie. 
after what she did to to Lane. Come yeah. on, who wants Stalin, Roy Stalin? I don't know. Um, and then the um, last character I want to talk about um, is Lane has a little brother who is six. No, I think they say no, no, he, no, no, I think no, they no. say he's like six or seven. No, I th- I think he's like ten or eleven. But uh, but he's the yeah, actor but, might be, but they they kind of make it like he's like but seven he never years old. Talks. He never talks. His name is Badger, and the first time we meet Badger is the dad uh, Lane's dad is coming downstairs to have breakfast, and he goes to get a box of cereal, <laughs> and. He pull. He takes the box of cereal. Now, if you get cereal today, you've got like the box, and then there's like a bag inside holding the cereal. Well, they just eliminated the bags for the gag, I guess. And every time he pulls a box out, all the cereal just starts coming out <laughs> of the box. And then he t- he's like, "Oh crap!" And he grabs another one, and all the cereal comes out. And it turns out that Badger is cutting out the coupons in all the cereal boxes to send away for free giveaways. Mm -hmm. And then throughout the movie, there's all like, we know very little about Badger other than he likes to live in his room by himself. And he's got this crazy imagination and he's doing all these wacky things. So, and he gets a book. Well, well, you know, he, he first, he sends away for stuff and he builds a actual working laser gun. (laughs) Then he sends away and gets a manual on how to pick up trashy women. And then the next scene we see him in, he's got this room full of trashy women, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like, you know, Lane walk, hears this music and is like, what the hell's going on in there? Walks in and it's, um, I think it's after the New Year's Eve dance yeah. scene. And he's got all these women in there and like Lane's like, who the hell am I? You know, I, <laughs> this is, what the hell is going on? And um, then... As the end credits are done rolling, you see that he has built a space shuttle out of <laughs> out of um, appliances, um, home appliances, and the shuttle takes off mm-hmm. in the outer space. So those, like, like again, the uh, the Very absurd weird. weirdness of Badger is I. I was so like impressed and motivated by all of that as a kid. It was so good, which is um, why I love trashy women. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) But that, I think that's, uh, that's all I got on some of the characters. I mean, we could, we could go into if, as you're watching this movie, uh, Ricky, the across the street neighbor later played Dennis Blunden on uh, head of the class, which was a television show on ABC in the late eighties. And I think ended in the early Mm nineties. And then um, he went on to be in a television show called good burger, which was like a Nickelodeon show Mm. with Keenan Kel, who uh, Keenan Thompson and um, Kel, which was his like comedy acting partner at the, when they were young and Keenan Thompson is now on Saturday night live. Mm. Now, and I can't remember the actor's name who played him. I just always knew him as Dennis Blunden. It's like um, Dan Schneider or something. Dan Schneider, yeah. He he's, he's, he's a he's married to a cookbook writer that I follow. Oh really? Mm-hmm. Oh, he's gotten into a lot of trouble in the last few years because oh, really? he developed or created a bunch of shows for Nickelodeon, yes. and there's been some problems or inappropriate things he's done with a lot of the actresses. So. Yikes! Yikes! Well. 
I know that he got into doing um, television, but I did not know anything about that. Yeah. Well, too much Ricky, I guess. Yeah. Well, and then... His, um, his tentacles. His tentacles, yes. His tentacles are... <laughs> and then, um, let me see, we talked about a couple of the other actors. Oh, the... Um, the driver, the the passenger Asian of the Asian street team, the announcer, the announcer was the villain in Karate Kid oh, Two. I thought so. He's the villain in Karate Kid Two. <laughs> the young, the young boy, the young um, Japanese guy who is like tormenting Daniel son. Daniel son. You know, he, yeah, that's him. So I thought that was him. There's a lot of, like, random kind of things, or actors that you see. This is a fully the... immersed 80s movie. I mean, it came out right in the middle of the 80s, 1985. It's got a lot of connections to other things. And uh, the only thing missing from this movie, considering it is a John Cusack kind of high school movie, his sister is not in this movie. No, she's not. Mm-mm. Well, um, if you do kind of look up this movie in Wikipedia. Now, um, I found a couple articles to kind of back this up. Um, John Cusack does not really like this movie. That's a shame. In fact, he was pretty angry at Savage Steve Holland when the movie premiered. And the only reason why he did One Crazy Summer after it was because he was contractually obligated. Wow. So... I wonder what part he, I wonder what about it he doesn't like. In fact, maybe if know. we ever get him on our podcast, we can ask him why he doesn't like this I movie. would love to ask him personally if anyone out there has a way to um, get us in touch with him and or his sister to ask him. I mean, I, ho- I would hope that now he has, knowing the cult following that this movie has, yeah. and, you know, I'm sure people ask him about it and everything, I hope now he has a, a, a much better appreciation for it. I hope so. Because I think that, there's, there are elements of Lane Meyer that I can see in so many of his other movies, especially like even High Fidelity. I mean, that's a relationship movie where he's broken up with somebody. Yeah. And so there are parallels there. I mean, maybe High Fidelity is his like retribution for, for this movie in his mind. I don't know. Maybe. Um, but yeah, I was really kind of bummed when I heard that because, you know, to feel like he didn't have his 100% into One Crazy Summer is kind of a bummer. Because that's well, a fun. That, that movie is definitely like pushing like Savage Steve Holland made this movie and then kind of really pushed the envelope with that movie. There's more animation. There's like, like that's where I fa- like, I don't know if anyone knows about like the whole myth of like, if you're making a face yeah, and someone kids, slaps you on a yeah, back, it, your kid, face stays like that yeah, forever. That's, that's what I mostly remember about that movie. Um, you don't remember all the lobsters? No. You don't remember Bobcat Goldthwait? I remember it? him being in it. He's in it. Um, and well, but I don't and, remember the plot. I don't really remember much about that movie. But uh, I do remember the kids getting their faces frozen because they made a face. Do you remember Demi Moore? Yes. And I mean, Demi Moore, Bobcat Goldthwait, and um, John Cusack are probably the biggest stars in that movie. But uh, the guy who plays the mailman in Better Off Dead is also in that movie. I don't remember him in that movie. Huh? At least that's oh, what IMDb says. Oh yeah, he is. He is. I, I do recall him being in that movie. And then the the, the third Savage Steve Hall movie, um, How I Got Into College, which I'm sure John Cusack probably would have been in if um, he, you know, on better terms. But um, and that's, a, that's not a terrible movie. It's not, I mean, it does not have the, the cult following that Better Off Dead does, but. I don't think I've ever seen that movie. It's not bad. I would, I would check it out. It's, it has elements of the like similar kind of comedic elements, but, um, 
it's a, it's pretty good. So, did you have anything else you want to say? No, I think we've really covered it. I mean, this again, this movie, like I said, really gave me and Matt an opportunity to really get to know John Cusack as an actor yeah. and really root for him and kind of, for me, kind of like fall for him a little bit and be like, wow, who is this guy? And be interested in other things he was going to do in the future. And I'm certain because I'd watched Better Off Dead, let's see, Say Anything came out in 88. This came out in 85. I'd probably seen Better Off Dead 50 times or 100 times by the time Say Anything rolled around. I'm sure it was a main reason why I wanted to see it. Yeah. I mean, it, it's definitely... It really put him on the map It was It was very easy for me to put this on my list. Oh, me too. It was so easy to put this on my list. I mean, it's... Um, and it's, it's a movie our parents like a lot, too. They, they both find... Do they? Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah, they both find this movie very funny. Trying to re- to watch this movie can be a challenge. Like it's it's unless you can find you know, like buy the DVD or the I don't even know if it's on Blu-ray, but if you can find the DVD, but it's not streaming anywhere. Yeah, I already had a DVD copy of it for a long time. You can find it on YouTube. Someone has <laughs> ripped the entire movie to YouTube. It's not the greatest quality, but I recommend anyone out there checking it out because it deserves to have that kind of recognition. To get out there. Yeah. We love it. Yeah. I, I hope you enjoyed listening to us talk about it. Yeah. You know, thank you guys again for sticking with us and listening to our deep dive into uh, Better Off Dead. You sure? That's, this is not a movie about Lloyd Dobler and Diane It's Court. not about that. Oh, God. <sighs> <laughs> That's still up for debate, people. Message Not us. Really. Message us on Facebook, tr- trust or on uh, Twitter. How do, you, how how do you think that movie say anything would have ended? You know, what happened when they got to London? I'm I'm telling you, she found some other kickboxer. Not she did. No Come way. On, kick, no way. Yeah, you know, she found the David Beckham of kickboxing. No. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. Love you guys. Bye. Mm-hmm.